1: The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. Lord knows that country music's gonna save you.
3: Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. Hey, Souther. Welcome back. Yeah, man. Welcome back to you as well. Thanks. We, we missed each
4: other for two weeks. I know. It's crazy. It's a reunion.
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good. It does, man. Um, yeah. We? You were in Scotland last week when we were drinking scotch in here. I know. I, it's very. That seems ironic. Did we plan it that way? or? I don't know, man. It just, yeah. I think it just happens that way sometimes. Yeah, such is life. But it sounds like you, uh, you're actually visiting... A couple of distilleries we were drinking, like of the whiskey that we were drinking.
4: Yeah, you said you were drinking Aberfeldy 12. I was at the Aberfeldy Distillery. It was really charming, beautiful setting. Cool, man. You know, again, distilleries get kind of romanticized these days. They have like a little area for tourism. Yeah. But even if this place didn't have that, just the the sheer setting of where it was located was kind of gorgeous. Nice. You know, Scottish rolling hillside, water flowing down the mountainside, like amazing. Just gorgeous. Nice. Well. A a truly magical experience. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool You know, it was like, I think we were just 8 or 10 kilometers from Hogwarts or something I don't know, it was was Scotland, it was great
3: Cool man, Uh, welcome back Thank you Um, Why don't you introduce our guest today?
4: Yeah, uh, so studio today we've got uh, our good friend Nick Korn coming down here from Boston He runs uh, an organization called Offsite, which does uh, uh, kind of big events uh, up to and including He does Thirst Boston every year up in Boston So hey Nick, what's up? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, glad to have you. Thanks for driving down just to be on the show and eat pizza. I really just came for the pizza. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I think most of our guests just come for the pizza. <laughs> and then there's this. Oh, hey, let's talk on the on the microphone. Um, so what's going on? You're, you're constantly a
5: busy guy doing events all the time, and Thirst is coming up, right? When's Thirst? Uh, it's the last week of April, so it's the 28th through 30th of April, just two weeks away. Oof. It's so, coming up real fast. So you took a little time out of your... Busy schedule. No, it's really relaxing. It yeah. pretty much just runs itself
4: at this point. Well, yes, so that's a bunch of bullshit. Let's talk about <laughs> what that means. Like, I don't think I have a real clear vision of what it is you do as an. What, what is the t- full title? Event coordinator, event planner, event maker. Yeah, party could. maker what one do you my,
5: do one of my favorite uh, <laughs> pastimes is having my friends introduce me and explain what i do because everyone sort of has a different uh, understanding so i'd love to hear your explanation i think Heather, you, you just could. i think you just did like <laughs> i just rambled and made up titles yeah it's pretty perfect exactly <laughs> um yeah so we do uh, a lot of the work that we do is with brands with like spirit companies um and breweries uh and essentially a lot of them have trouble telling their story and specifically have trouble interacting with the bartending community so i'm a bartender i've worked in cocktail bars for like 10 years in boston and i think brands and bartenders really like want to work together it's sort of like a middle school dance where they're like looking across the room and they have like that sexy brand that they want to go dance with but they don't know how to start the conversation so a lot of what we do is sort of like broker those relationships and you're uh, a pimp (laughs) <laughs> I said, I said middle school dance. I don't know what you oh, were up okay. to. <laughs> it's all innocent.
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: Speaking of pimp, I didn't realize you were uh, now working for the travel board of Scotland, as opposed to the milk uh, corporation of uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I don't know who I work
4: for. Uh, I do like Wisconsin milk and cheese, though. Um, <laughs> thanks for bringing it up. There's probably some Wisconsin Dairyland cheese around top of this beautiful uh, uh, wood fire roasted pizza here at Roberta's. There we go. Getting all the plugs (laughs) in. Getting all the plugs in at the top. Wash it down with my delicious Budweiser. If
5: if you need to pin me out for Wisconsin (laughs) cheese, I'm ready.
4: (laughs) You're the guy. Um, Okay, so you broker these relationships somehow and at least get them started, but then where does that go?
5: Um, it's really up to the brands and to the communities that we're working with. So I think what we do a lot of is work with the bartending communities of, I mean, specifically in Boston, but now we're doing it all across the country to kind of work with the bartenders because who we are and what we want has changed so much and continues to change. Um, so try to figure out what, what our community wants and then come to the brands with, with a plan, with a proposal, as opposed to letting some you know group of marketing people under a mountain somewhere out in Colorado make a decision about... You know what the whole national strategy for a brand is going to be so saying this is what bartenders want and this is what they you know how we're going to interact with them and instead of that we sort of um flip the script and say like this is actually what our community wants like do you want to be the people that bring it to us or do you want us to go to somebody else
4: right can you throw me like an example of something you've done recently that was that, that, that would outline what you just described
5: yeah of course um so basically uh I'm a huge nerd, in case that's not clear already, and uh, I really love. Um, we all are. Come yeah, on. Exactly. that's why we're here talking on the radio. Come on,
4: but radio, radio, the broadcast media for nerds.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so essentially, like uh, you know, I found that I was visiting a lot of distilleries, as an example, because I wanted to learn more about distillation, and I got to a place where I would always get to like a point and then it would sort of be yada 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 and then we put it in a barrel and i wasn't happy with that conversation even though i kept visiting with distilleries i kept kind of like it's like at a restaurant where you kind of give them hints you kind of explain like hey i get it like i work in this restaurant industry or i appreciate food like i want to like break through your sort of script and say like have a personal experience where like I'm not afraid to eat weird food, so like throw some crazy stuff at me because I'm ready. And the same thing at distilleries. I would kind of be like, okay, I get it. Like, I can speak the language. I understand the parts of a still. Like, I don't need to hear that bourbon is 51% corn. I want to like get into like what you do and how it's different. So I didn't see that opportunity despite traveling a lot, and we ended up basically finding a small local distillery in Boston who the distiller is a Ph.D. industrial chemist, and he and I built a new curriculum together basically for this thing we called Distilling Academy, So it's a four-week, hands-on, chemistry-driven distillation class for bartenders um, with no yada, yada, yada. So you start with a raw material, and you finish barreling a single barrel, and there's nothing hidden or separate. You do the whole process. So I sort of saw that wasn't available. I realized that I wanted to do that, and I said, if I want to do it, I'm sure there's other people out there who want to do it, too.
4: Cool. Wow. (laughs) How often is that? Is that once a year as well?
5: Um, That happens twice a year. Twice a year. Um, How many students
4: do you take? It's 10. 10. So 20 students a year.
5: Yeah, and we, uh, we've we had eight classes so far, so there's 80 bartenders who have gone through the same four-week class, um, and now, you know, the way that our community works is people are moving all around the country, so we have, like, graduates from our class who now live in L.A., San Francisco, you know, wherever else in New York, and uh, we're just continuing that process, so it's really exciting, and it's, like, a super small thing, but it's, like. It's something that I'm really passionate about. And what's it called again? It's called Distilling Academy. The Distilling Academy. Uh, I want to go. Yeah, me too. Four weeks, though. So we're working on some... <laughs> this is a perfect transition. So, I, I have four weeks later. <laughs> um, basically, uh, we're working on a new version of it that is sort of like, think about like a cooking show instead of like waiting. Never, never seen a cooking show. Yeah, theoretically, if you'd ever read about a cooking show, um, <laughs> basically like instead of it being... Uh,
3: I listen to radio about cooking shows a <laughs> bunch of nerds
5: so like instead of it being like every part of the process it's sort of like okay we start fermentation and then like you open the oven and it's already cooked kind of thing so sure. we're working on kind of an accelerated version of that which I think transitions well and we talked a little bit about thirst um, but a new project we have with thirst this year it's called Thirst Scholars which is kind of our way of expanding out thirst to beyond just New England um, we haven't really talked about thirst is I was about to say let's like, talk about thirst
4: first <laughs> Thirst first, then Thirst scholars. Uh, What is,
5: Nick Horn? what is Thirst? Thirst Boston. Uh, Well, thirst is a thing when you want a liquid. Yeah. Speaking of which.
4: Oh, yeah, we have some. (laughs)
5: Cool. Um, But uh, Thirst Boston is like a cocktail festival that we hold in Boston, and it's a celebration of the food and beverage communities of Boston and New England. So we try to, like, throw the doors open, not just say it's the same kind of micro echo chamber of the top, you know kind of people you read about in articles but it includes you know people in the industry it includes like people on the street who just enjoy drinking and enjoy cocktails or want to learn about it Um, and it also includes people from all throughout england so we really like cast the net a little bit wider than just the metro boston area Um, and it's in its fourth year it's basically seminars classes tastings during the day and parties and events in the evening
3: Rad. Yeah, let me do that. Let's do that.
4: I feel like you... Two weeks, we go up there. Everything will be set yeah. for me in two weeks.
3: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, opening a bar is easy. You can just yeah, set it and it. anyone can do it. Right? it. I recommend yeah.
4: it to everyone. <laughs> everyone go up in your own bar.
5: It's similar to a cocktail festival, you know. Only we have, like, uh, I think we have over 30, over 40 events with diff- 70 different sponsors this year. So it's a really easy kind of simple straightforward organization if you can imagine
4: simple well, that yeah. sounds simple yeah. um how many attendees do you have how many do you have you don't do you know how many you're gonna have this year I just, By ticket sales obviously right yeah
5: so we have all different kinds of opportunities like i kind of said so during the day is like really education and we partnered with like a adult education center that's like actual classrooms with teaching kitchens and tasting panels so uh, the classrooms are actually really small i think all of us have been to cocktail festivals some people out there if anyone listens to this radio podcast have there's three, not there's been three there. or four well like <laughs> you know 40 percent of you guys have uh, been to a cocktail festival <laughs> and uh and basically uh the problem is you end up with these huge rooms you end up with like sort of a powerpoint presentation in a hotel function room with sample size cocktails and i don't know about both of you guys you both run very successful bars in new york did you learn how to bartend from watching a powerpoint presentation
3: Nope. I learned from listening to the radio programs like this.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, same.
4: Um, we all did. Yeah. No, I literally. understand what you're saying. Like, uh, it's uh, it sounds like a radically different experience based on just sheer size, um, which is you know, I guess that's the damnable misery of kind of anything, right? You you start something, it becomes successful. People dig it, and then it gets too big for itself. But there's kind of nothing you can do about it. So. That's probably mm. the future of Thirst Boston, too, right? Ten years from now, it'll be bigger than it wants to be.
5: Never. But right now, it's in that pocket size that's, that's delightful. Well, we've like we've been very conscious about how we grow. And the idea is, like, let's do fewer things better. I think the same thing's true. Like, I mean, to plug your restaurant, you know, there's opportunity. Bar. It's your bar. <laughs> um, serve food. <laughs> I've had a snack there. Uh, but the idea is, like, you know, you don't have to be everything for everyone. You don't have to let everyone in the door. Like, figure out what you do. Do it really well. Um, And we try to do that with with thirst, and we have we literally have classes for someone who's never made a cocktail in their life before, all the way up to people who have been in this industry for a decade. And it's different things for different people, and we try to make the classes really clear as to like this is an introduction, what your expectation is, yeah, or this is like a deep dive like thing. And so um, again, I love this model. I mean, you know, I taught
4: at the New England Culinary Institute for two years up in uh, Montpelier, Vermont, and similarly. That school has the ethos of like we've looked at all the other schools and they're huge. And so at that school, it's nine person maximum per class, well, that's awesome. which you all go through the same tract together. So you start on day one together as nine. Right. And if and then there's always attrition. So by the time you're a senior, the senior classes are sometimes four people. That's like, it's amazing. Yeah. So you're getting a lot of one on one contact, a lot of hands on with the work. So I see what you're saying. Like the model is more um, practical than theoretical right you go go to uh you know some of these other things and and you're right you're in this massive hall and you got you know cock you know miniature cocktails are already set up for you on the table when you walk in and there's a powerpoint presentation and you're sipping on them and people are kind of coming and going and leaving and you know like but when it's down to just you and a handful of other people you stay and you engage
5: totally and that's sort of what we're doing is like not that i
4: don't like those other things too i still get something from them you know i'm I'm always the guy who says uh no matter what i do i'm not going to learn less Right? I'm, not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna unlearn i'm not gonna unlearn stuff
5: yeah <laughs> i, can I, can, always, I always pick up something can, you can try for sure um <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> pardon me, so for the sort of um the process of thirst um because I'm a nerd and I listen to the radio uh I established <laughs> uh we said, like, okay, thirst is is this opportunity, but just like anything, if you're going to open a bar, you should go to 100 different bars and look at how they run it and what they do and what makes them special and what's successful and what's not. Um, So in the process of sort of becoming more and more involved in thirst, uh, I took it upon myself to go to as many cocktail festivals as I can. So two years ago, I went to 10 cocktail festivals, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Um, Most brand people who get paid to go to cocktail festivals... cringe when they hear that number Um, and yet and I volunteered at some I took classes at some I taught at some I was a sponsor at some I coordinated events so I got to see these different festivals from a lot of different sides um, and just took obsessive notes and then we sort of had a bunch of meetings about how can we take all of these principles take all the learnings like some of these festivals are around for 11 12 years they've figured out what works for them and they've sort of settled into some processes and, and we can look at them and say Is this settled into a process because it's successful, or is it because of inertia that this is just how they started doing it? So we put everything on the table, we questioned everything, and we sort of rebuilt a festival how we wanted it to be, based on the best little pieces we saw everywhere. Um, And so a part of that was this PowerPoint thing. Like, we, we, I wouldn't say pressure, but we encourage our presenters to not... Do PowerPoint presentations unless it's. Oh, a I'm sense. your
4: guy. I've presented several times. I've never done a PowerPoint in my life. <laughs> they always ask me what kind of AV equipment do you need. I'm like nothing. I'm just gonna get up there and talk.
5: Yeah, I was like, I have a loud voice. It's I don't even need a microphone. Like, kind of, <laughs> yeah. I'll just do this. And uh, okay. so that's one thing. Uh, the hands-on teaching kitchens, like, it's so important for us. Like, I didn't really see that in any of the festivals that I went to. And I said, like, you know, if I want to learn about. Japanese ice carving, about garnishes, about balancing cocktails, about how to use a porthole. You know, like I want to do it and taste it and see it and have someone who's like, like you said, there's nine people in the room, and that person can come over and engage with me.
4: Yeah, um, so yeah. Like I think uh, you know that smaller group, you're more willing to engage. You know, if it's a larger group, you feel embarrassed to raise your hand or ask a dumb question in front of you know 100 people. But like, even if you feel like your question is pretty asinine, yeah. there's only nine people in the room. You're a little bit more brave, maybe. And then mm-hmm.
5: we have a few other which kind generates
4: of... further conversation. You know, I, I've Absolutely. always encouraged dumb questions because the dumb question, even if it's a dumb question, it leads to a good question. Someone else will get sparked from that. Mm-hmm. You know?
5: Totally. And, and we have a few other models that we do. Like um, we have the same we call a... (gasps) Yeah, industry roundtables, and so it's only open to people who work in the restaurant industry, but it can be cooks, servers, hostesses, whomever. It's capped at, like, 12 people, and you just sit around a room with a presenter. So the presenter's not allowed to stand up, they're not allowed to bring a PowerPoint presentation, and they're not allowed to serve cocktails. So it's just like, let's sit in a table and have a conversation. The other thing I haven't mentioned is all of the classes at Thirst are 90 minutes long. So it's not, like, 50 minutes and, okay, we got to hustle and get out of here and turn it over. So the the depth of conversation you can have when you have, like, a real pinnacle of our community who has a huge amount of knowledge, sitting down at a table with industry people and just having a conversation. Maybe there's a bottle on the table that they're tasting, but it's it's not a structured environment. The other thing that we do is called categorical tastings, is we basically pick a category. So we say, like, okay, single malts.
4: This is my favorite.
5: And so instead of it being like... Not necessarily
4: single malls, but categories. I love this.
5: So instead of it being like, okay, well, let's go to a presentation, and this is this one company telling us why what they do is the best and nobody else is doing it, and that other company not having a chance to defend itself, um, we say, like, all of you are going to benefit from people being excited about your category. So if if you're a Mezcal you want more people to know what mezcal is to ask questions about mezcal and to like get out there and try new things. And so what we do is we have a like basically a moderator who's a local person, someone from the community, a bartender or bar manager from Boston or New England kind of introduce the category this is what single malts are this is kind of an overview of the category in case there's people in the room who have no idea at all and then they introduce each one of their presenters so as a guest you have like five glasses in front of you on a tasting mat and in front of you you have a dais with five presenters one from each brand so they get a chance to lead a tasting of just one glass so they have to determine like they can't taste you on every offering that they have they have to say this is the thing that tells the story of my brand and the category. And the category, right? And Just then, oftentimes
4: you have a you have a mark that that tells the story of your brand, but honestly, sometimes kind of bucks the category. But that's kind of your story.
5: That's cool too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so right now, this year, you know, every year we sort of rotate what the categories are. So this year we have cognac, which I think is horribly misunderstood category. Um, and there's an opportunity for these these brands that like are not the big two or three brands that we all hear about to sit at a table and at an equal playing field next to those huge houses. Um, we have Mezcal, which is like we're bringing the people that either represent it for the whole country or who actually make it or blend it to come and talk about what it is that they are. And then obviously, each, if each one of them is presenting a glass, then it turns into a discussion. It turns into questions, answers. There's enough time for it to become, yeah. like I want the guests to leave and say like, man, Mescal or Single Mall or Cognac or Amari are so much more complicated than I ever expected and, like, catch the bug because that's what we all want. I mean, as bartenders, you want to get someone to, like, see something in a new way and then, like, go off on their own and keep digging into it.
4: Absolutely. Well, we're about a little past halfway, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from Wisconsin Milk and Cheese Board.
5: I love I could, cheese, I could, and I, I go, love
4: Wisconsin. I could go for a cheese board right now.
3: There's, We kind of have one right there in front of us. Yeah, Roberto's it's, Pizza.
4: <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to continue to talk about Thirst Boston. We're also just going to talk about Offsite and Nick Korn himself. Cool. So stay tuned.
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh cheese curds. Or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chishois, which was named 2016's world champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese. And once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. We
4: are back Yeah, no brainer Thanks, Jack. <laughs> I miss that guy. Yeah, me too. I'm sure every, you do. I only got to work with him for like six months.
5: I got a chance to go to Madison this past year, and it, true to form, every meal I had and every dish was covered in melted cheese, and it was amazing.
3: Yeah, so good. They yeah. put it. In, that's that's like part of the uh, Wisconsin old fashioned, right? It's like brandy based, but then it's like <laughs> yeah. it has cheese curds. <laughs> cheese in curds, it. float. Just yeah. a garnish. Just you cheese know? curds yeah. on yeah. a pick, you know. <laughs> there needs to be more cheese garnishes and drinks.
5: So. As long as the curds are squeaky, that's what I learned. It's very important.
3: Oh, yeah. The or tip <laughs>
5: you don't want those old curds that have lost their squeak
4: <laughs> like when you bite on them they squeak or would you yeah you
5: feel it like in your teeth like it's like it squeaks it's crazy uh, all right tell how you know it's fresh
4: pizza yeah. poutine
5: i no? did or i ate every cheese curds i did have a breakfast where it was a it was an omelet that was covered in melted cheese and the server asked me if i wanted gravy on it
4: which is something that and no one like.
5: Well, fuck yeah, do you. I was like, "How I'm have like, I? What are I'm, you doing here? Go I'm, give me the sort gravy. Of, I'm
4: sort of offended that it didn't come with it. Yeah. I was like, "How
5: <laughs> have I gone through this many years of my life not putting gravy on on cheese covered eggs? Like, I'm like, "Of course, it's like a full circle. It's the chicken and the egg all together. You know?
3: Yeah, it's true. Wow, <laughs> the whole farm.
4: Yeah, uh, <laughs> when it comes to breakfast, the chicken is into it, but the pig is committed. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back with Nick
4: corn and my terrible dad jokes. Uh, and you busted out while we went on that quick break a little flask, a vintage flask, though, I see, that it has a, uh, I, I was about to read it, and you snatched it out of my hand. Uh, in Italian, it says, Vini Aromas, oh, Jesus, Aromatizzati? I've never seen that before. Your pronunciation is impeccable, Southern. Aromatizzati. All you have to do is, like... Twist your mustache. Mini
5: like. aromatizzati. Imagine you say, it'll
4: like, Don a barrio. half a pizza, and then you could say it better. Yeah. So it's Don Barrio Elisir Amaro. So Elixir Amaro from Don Barrio in, in Italy. And it's in this little flask that we... you have an idea how old this is? Old. No,
5: it's old. Okay. <laughs> it looks like... So I figured this was... I think you just swig at it. Yeah. So I figured this was the perfect thing to bring you, Southern, because... Yeah. Uh, I had a feeling that you kind of like drinking bitter things in Amari. Yeah. Um, and that you, I've seen also that you love like the sort of dusty culture. So the idea Dusty
4: of- culture. That was my wrestling name in high school. <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh, that's, yeah, see, I'll take it. Uh, so basically, uh, like, there's a sort of, like, undercurrent of our industry of people trying to find, you know, new and weird things. Um, there's people doing it on, like, a, a large brand side where they're, like, traveling, trying to find the new thing that they want to import. And then on the sort of personal bartender side, which, so there, I know that you do this, too, like... The, the hunt of trying to find some old dusty bottle and, and there's all sort of like rules that people make for themselves like I can't like buy it on eBay or go to a
4: yeah people do make rules for themselves or like <laughs> I, I don't
5: if I see something I like I buy it or like go to an estate sale like there's something about the hunt of like I'm going to a liquor store and this bottle is like sitting on the shelf like thousands of people have seen this bottle and walked right by it and didn't get it and you pick it up and there's like that ring around the bottom because it's like literally dusty yeah um, so I found this liquor store uh, in Italy when I was there in December and basically, it had been a candy and liquor store in this downtown area. And nothing goes better with liquor than candy.
3: Candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. There you ah. go. That's it. I hope that was the name of the
5: place. Uh, <laughs> it was in Italian, so I yeah, assume yeah. so. That's yes. what it was in Italian. Uh, and basically, like the couple had bought it, it had been shuttered for like five or six years. And before that, the owner had had it for like forty years. Um, and so they bought the thing, hook line and sinker, including all this inventory. And there was like a shelf along the top of the whole building that just had old stuff up there. And I was like, do you guys have a stepladder? And they're like, sure. And I spent, like, 30 minutes there just digging through things, including a giant case, like, of minis. So, like, you know, you see those old, like, there's a few bars, at least in Boston, that have, like, a display case of all these gorgeous old minis, but they're mm-hmm. not for sale. Yeah. They're just, like, a decor piece. That. This was like, yeah, go I for that. it. I, I'm, I'm,
4: uh, the one thing I am for sure is a consumer, not a collector. I hate. When I go places and see that they have stuff that's just for looks. Look that. It's made to be drank. Exactly. Anyway, that's, let's that's talk about this real fast. Uh, we, we're passing the bottle because we don't have any glasses in the studio today. But
3: It's down Rho. Biro. Oh, B-I-R-O. Yeah, yeah Biro um, is a Biro. city
5: like near, it's a part of the city of Torino in, in Piemonte. So northwest Italy. But I've,
3: smelled- I've seen this one before, by the way. it makes oh, me really, yeah. really sad. <laughs> Where would you see it? They have a bottle of it at Frankie's Spuntino in Brooklyn. Shameless plug. Yeah, well, not shameless. Not shameless, no. Just huh? normal. Normal normal. plug. Shame, sh- normal, shame plug <laughs> normal plugs for friends and colleagues.
4: Normal plugs for friends and colleagues. Yeah. But for me, it, did you get this? It smells very savory. Mm-hmm. And then, oddly, the, the flavor it's is super kind of vibrant. nutty mm. and a little bit
5: maple Yeah. It's and cool. Something kind of that's soft been sitting bitter. in a bottle for that long that still is that bright and has that much character. You Generally, like, some, that thing tastes pretty yummy. Yeah. But I'm with you, Souther. Booze is made to be drunk, so, like... Yeah, whenever Every, I get a open hold
4: it. of, yeah, whenever I get a hold of something, I'm I'm actually there's a half a, 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 the smaller half of me is a little bit pissed that I get to have it because it should have been drank already. Yeah. the bigger half of me, of course, is happy that I get to drink it because someone overlooked it or whatever. But you know, I don't understand why uh, why things get overlooked or why things get forgotten or whatever. Anyway, let's talk more about you and your endeavors. Oh geez, oh geez. <laughs> um, so you just gave us a pretty solid rundown of Thirst Boston, which makes everybody want to come up to up to your fair city.
5: Well, I wanted to say
4: April twenty eighth b- through the thirtieth.
5: I like that. That's a <laughs> That's shameful shameless. plug. Yeah. Um, oh, it's yeah.
3: Also, if uh, you want more information, it's at thirstboston.com.
5: dot You oh, guys are, are getting on the payroll pretty soon. <laughs> what is Thirst um, Boston anyway? In addition to all you know the England's classes, premier cocktail festival. <laughs>
2: Woo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh,
5: yeah. Uh, <laughs> In addition to all the classes and seminars and stuff that we talked about, there's also, like, parties and events. Like, at the end of the day, it's a balance, right? We want to have fun. Booze doesn't have to be serious all the time. But it, if you want to get serious about booze, we offer that to you, too. So, um, basically, on Saturday, we have this event called State Lines. And the idea is it's like a state fair that's all booze-themed. So, we... Uh, I want to ride the go-karts. <laughs> 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 there's a breathalyzer so it's a troublesome but uh but basically so there's booths that have you know carnival games they have like you know silly fried food they have people who are making like aprons and bar tools and hand blowed tiki mugs Um, and then there's pavilions dedicated to each state of greater new england so we're bringing in bartenders from all the states of new england so connecticut rhode island new hampshire vermont maine and upstate new york and they're basically building like a like a pop up immersive bar, probably about the size of a Mario Margot, and they uh, they get to like kind of showcase what it is that they're doing. So as a as a guest, you are in Boston, you walk into this space, you're in like a fair, and you can go to like the Vermont Pavilion and see four awesome bartenders from Vermont who are crushing it, and get to hear about the bars they work at, taste some of the cocktails that they make, um, and sort of travel around New England and get excited that like it's not just Boston, but there's some really cool stuff happening in all the other states. That um, sounds
3: fucking rad. Yeah, man. <laughs> I want like a funnel cake that's like drenched in rum.
5: See, now right? you're talking exactly right. Yeah, I get it. I get it.
3: Like <laughs> fast pitch, like
5: right? yeah. <laughs> did you ever Beer do brats and fast did pitch? Did you ever do fast pitch? Like, oh, of course, yeah. You have to, yeah. Like, and the th- <laughs> then you have to guess the third ball. It's impossible. You,
3: you said uh, you know it was like state fair, but uh, but with alcohol. It's like to me, it's like state fair always involved. <laughs> and it was usually <laughs> in a to- bottle about the size that we're drinking out of now. Yeah, and uh, we would do fast pitch, but you you would uh, like shotgun a beer and then your friends would spin you around like three times and you'd have to throw the ball. <laughs> Oklahoma.
5: A yeah, that's whole, yeah. wholesome family fun right yeah, there. Yeah, man. Was, uh, it was we were that talking sounds about amazing.
4: That's I mean I I'm, frankly I'm kind of I've never heard of anything like that. That sounds great. I love the idea of having uh uh five small bars throughout the thing that
5: represent a different state and have bartenders from their state and they're doing yeah. their thing from their bar. That's and great. People kept asking like is there a Massachusetts pavilion and I was like no, like they're at a bunch of other events. They're already here. You can go to their bar it's right down the street. It's like this is the idea this is like we're trying to throw, you know, to invite people who are really like showcasing that like you know like go to like burlington vermont go to portsmouth new hampshire go to kittery maine go like travel around go to westport rhode island or westport uh connecticut and like there are awesome bars who are really crushing it and not to mention they're in like they're out on the, they're out on their own you know they're doing god's work in terms of like guests are coming in and not understanding what they're up to and it becomes this really awesome opportunity to kind of explain to educate to be hospitalitarians and to like encourage people into this like it's not a pretentious world it's like we're just wanted, we just want to show you all this cool stuff that we're doing. So we're trying to bring in all these people and for them to come to Boston and see, get to visit the bars in Boston that are doing this and get to see the other bars who are doing it in other kind of cities, we're creating connections between these sort of like little little up-and-coming communities. I mean, you know, I didn't say it before, but everything you've talked
4: about seemingly really it falls into that The old phrase, right? A high tide raises all boats. It sounds like you're just trying to lift everybody up, and in doing so, it lifts you up as well. Like you are doing God's work, actually. Yeah, oh.
5: <laughs> My god drinks a lot of whiskey. Yeah. Uh and then the other event that we do because not everything's educational and not everything has to be about community and like, you know, uh and thinking about Fast Pitch is uh, on Sunday night our sort of closing night party is called the Gender Bender Blender Bender which um, people always ask me to say three times fast and i say that i can definitely do it because i've said it a thousand times now um, and the idea is it's 36 bartenders all from like the greater boston area making frozen drinks in a nightclub and everyone's in drag
4: 30, Awesome. 36 <laughs> bartenders making blender drinks in drag at a nightclub in boston how can that not be fun Did you say it again gender bender blender bender you got it all it's easy go. right Gender Bender Blender. And Bender it's Bender. sponsored
3: by
5: Vitamix. Yeah, so the winning team, awesome. like there's basically teams of three bartenders. They each get their own Vitamix. Damn, that's a great prize. Yeah, Vitamix is Vitamix like Vitamix is the shit. They are awesome and they've been a great supporter. The Blender Bender is in its fourth year and they've supported it every single year. They're awesome. Cool.
4: Vitamix is a rad tool for yeah, kitchen or bar. I, that's the standard.
5: Yeah. So now there's all these bartenders. That's not a
4: plug at all. I'm just saying I've used them in the past in both the front and the back of the house.
5: Now there's bartenders all over Boston who just like have a, <coughs> a Vitamix in their kitchen in their apartment, you know, or they're using it on their bar or whatever. But it's like, you know, if if they're really showcasing and, and bringing the thunder with this event, then like we want to award them. So yeah,
4: I hope they're using it on their bars. can okay, that's amazing. Awesome. So thirst, Boston takes up a chunk of your
5: time every year. I mean, it's this month, so it's particularly top of mind, I suppose. But you do other junk too, <laughs> stuff. You do other <laughs> we stuff. We do lots too. of garbage for sure. Yeah, we got this one gym and then a bunch of <laughs> rat's nest stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, thirst is once a year, and we're a full time company, so offsite runs programs all over the country all year long. Um, But the sort of heart and soul of what we do is very similar. It's that it's, you know, working with the communities, like working with the bartending and -and up-and-coming restaurant communities to, if we can, like leverage those relationships and get the brands to like support things that we actually want. And sometimes they're super educational and a deep dive tasting. And sometimes they're just a party, like the Blender Bender. or We do a party or an event called the International Cocktail Karaoke Championship that Souther was able to join us for. Oh, that's right. I got to do that. I was a judge for that. Um, So it's bartenders uh, pick a song, they make a cocktail inspired by the song, and then they make the drink and sing the song on stage at the same time. In teams. (laughs) Most of them were in teams. They're in teams. Yeah, they have to be in teams. Oh, it has to be a team. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a band. You know, not everyone has to play the drums. Not everyone has to sing. But, like, somebody's got to make a cocktail, and some people have to sing. And if it's New they, York, some people have to dance on rollerblades or whatever. A, yeah, yeah, there was
4: a team that was on rollerblades dancing the whole time. It was un- wow. incredible.
5: So we're doing – that's one, of, one program that we do. We're doing that in uh, nine cities across North America this year, including, like, Canada, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. So that's going to be really rad. Nice. What uh, – so other than Thirst Boston – What's your favorite thing you
4: do or have done recently
5: man well I think the distilling academy that we already talked about is a thing that's like near and dear to my heart sure um, that I really love um, but we run we, we get to do really cool stuff uh, I think we're starting I, I kind of treat the business like a restaurant like to start up a restaurant and like open the doors like sure you can get like a little push off the bat but then you need to like you need to deliver and you need to bring people back and give them better and better and better experiences so Um, And also, like, a restaurant, like, once we passed the two-year mark, I was like, okay, like, I can take a little bit of a breath. Like, you know, so many restaurants close before that two-year mark. Um, So now we're just over three years old, and we're starting to get that repeat business. We have clients who we've worked with for three years um, who are seeing, you know, who are growing and growing and growing their involvement and are trusting us more. Um, So, like, we're sort of moving up that chain, and, like, we're sitting in meetings with important people who wear way nicer suits than i do and uh who are making giant decisions who are moving you know giant programs around and we get to be part of that conversation and sort of be the arbiter of our community where they say like okay we're going to do this bartender community or this bartender event and it's going to be x y and z because we want to achieve this and we can sort of be like is that really what we want to do? Like, if your goals are really this, like, can we work with you to build a new program? So we've gotten a chance to really build some new stuff from the ground yeah, where up. Where does
4: all this creativity come from? Does that come from you, from them? Where, does the, where do these ideas come from?
5: I've got a lot of, uh, we call them good, bad ideas. <laughs> which are, I, I think, I which think are... That's what I have. I think you have some good, bad ideas yourself. I think <laughs> bad, good ideas can be very dangerous. But good, bad ideas can be really fun. And the key for good, bad ideas is you just have to, you have to hustle and pull through. So you can come up with the dumbest, stupidest, craziest, hairbrain idea. And if you if you run with it and you get everyone committed to it and you execute it higher than anyone expected, then it's a thing. Cocktail karaoke is, like, the dumbest idea. It's something <laughs> it that... was pretty dumb. And then
4: he was just like, hey, you want to judge this thing? And I was like, yeah, that sounds dumb. <laughs>
5: I'll totally do and that. And it's really fun and, like, people buy into it. But it was, they, like, the first...
4: Everyone bought into it, man. These, these teams were in costumes and fucking... Rehearsed and practiced. It was yeah, crazy. So cool.
5: It's costumes, choreography, cocktails, craziness. It's really fun. And one of our what Souther hasn't mentioned is one of his co judges was a, a local um, female oh, yeah. impersonator. Yeah. Who every at every stop we have sort of three judges. We have a cocktail judge. That was me. Uh, we have a like a musicianship judge who generally is like a local musician, or and then we have a fabulous judge who's generally a female impersonator. <laughs> fabulous. And our fabulous judge in New York, her name was Peppermint. And first of all, she got up and sang, which was awesome. Amazing. Secondly, when she sang, she broke into like beatbox in the middle of her song, she which was, I didn't know that beatboxing performer. I didn't know that a beatboxing drag queen was like a thing that I really wanted in my life, but now <laughs> that I've seen it, that's all I really want. Um and third, she uh she recently they just she's on the current season of the RuPaul drag race, which is like a huge thing. Wow. She's like a celebrity among her community now and I can only assume that the cocktail karaoke is really pushed her into. her into her Into
4: notoriety. Metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a blast. And, you know, again, it seems like everything you do is super creative. And, and uh, you know, you haven't listed a single thing that I thought to myself, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, like, I like Everything you've said, I'm like, damn, I wish I could do that. I want to go do that. Uh, which I think is like key to the thing. You were talking before we got on the show about how you related this to sort of the The idea of how film festivals have gone in the past and how every little town used to have one, and now kind of only the big ones remain. And and what makes them remain is that they have uh, um, either something that's very definitive about them or a singularity of purpose. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to instill into every one of your events—is that like there's something about this event that's different than any other, and that's what's going to make it survive.
5: I can't believe you just used that term because that's a thing that I say all the time. Which term? Singularity of purpose. Oh, okay. I remember like when I was in college, and I watched like the person who's like, "I'm pre-med and I'm going to go to like med school and I'm going to be a doctor, and that's all I want to do." And there's like the person who is going to be an engineer, so they take all physics classes and they go to you know grad school and they become an engineer. In my whole life, I was like jealous of that singularity of purpose like I didn't have that I've always like been and like you know like to spread it around I have a lot of different interests that go in very very different directions Um, and so for years I sort of like jumped between those different those different categories and what I love about what I do now is it's sort of like an amalgamation of all those things it's event planning it's creativity like my background in photography and graphic design it's bartending which is something I really love um, and it's this sort of community building which I've also spent a lot of time doing so I sort of never found the one thing I wanted. So instead I created a new thing that kind of jammed all the things I love together. And, uh, seems like it's doing well for you. And in terms of like, you're just a late bloomer. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think part of that is, uh, is just finding the thing that you really love and, finding like I, I wasn't sure this is the i mean none of us are ever sure it's the right thing that we're doing until you reach a point where you have that like diagnostic moment that kind of tells you like this is the thing i'm supposed to do um and like a year ago not even a year ago recently i got offered a job that a previous iteration of myself you know three four or five years ago if i got offered that job like that was my dream job that was the thing like i had on the mantle that like i've always wanted and it just like was offered to me straight up and I immediately, without even having to think about it, was like, I can't do that. No. Like, that's when your dream job is no longer your dream job because the thing you're doing is the thing that you really love. That's when you know, like, you're doing the right thing.
3: Amazing.
4: Wow, dude. You to like, boil that down into a single sentence and make it. Awesome.
5: It could be on a T-shirt or
4: something, maybe right. a bumper sticker. That's absolutely a T-shirt. I'd buy that shirt.
5: It'd be really tiny font. Boil it for down
4: sure. to boil it down to the one thing and stick with it, or something like that. Just you know. I heart bitters. That's how. There you it go. It, that's how it works for me. Well, dude, you are a great guest, man. We really enjoyed having yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely, man. We're getting towards the end. We're going to wrap it up. Um, but I'll mention again, Thirst Boston, April twenty eighth through the thirtieth, twenty seventeen, uh, and it's at thirstboston.com. Uh, that's just boston it's
5: also so. an awesome opportunity for someone who may have never been to boston or even more than people who haven't been and someone who's been but hasn't been in five or ten years because i love meeting those people and they're like oh, i went to boston once it was 10 years ago and i'm like cool what'd you do and they're like well i was visiting my friend who was in college and we went to some shitty college bars and cheers and like, like i was telling you what cheers. i did last time yeah here. and then they're like but it was okay no. and i'm like uh like come back give me let me have a chance to like show, show you. you what the yeah. city's like and i am like If I'm nothing, I'm not, like, an advocate for my community, and I am so excited about the food and beverage community and the explosion that's happening in Boston um, and and also seeing the echo of what's happening in our city happening in smaller and smaller cities. So I love traveling the country and going to, like, Madison, Wisconsin or going to Birmingham, Alabama or going to Tampa, going to all these, like, kind of cities that people... that are not the big, you know, metropolitan... But they're at the tipping point. They're about to roll in. But they're crushing it, and they're where Boston was, you know when i started up in this community and i've seen where we've gone to and i'm so excited to watch these cities kind of come up and i want to be able to to help and to to offer advice or to just come and eat and drink at their restaurants because like they're they're turning the corner right now amazing all right thirst boston
4: april 28th to the 30th thirstboston.com nick corn thank you so much for being on the show um next week we have heather ash on
1: from tequila
4: tromba um, I'm going to l- give you a little list. I've been doing a little legwork, man. The following week, i we Peter Nevanglosky on. He's from Avua Cachaca. The <laughs> following week is the 3rd of May, which is the first uh, uh, Wednesday, or the last Wednesday before um, Derby Day. So we've got some super special guests on for that one. What does that say?
5: Are you hiding from me? <laughs> no. yeah. um,
4: uh, Peter Fortnitale, who you had on the show before I was on the show right he yeah, wrote the he, book uh, brooklyn, uh Spirit. brooklyn spirits and he's also got a radio show of his own called uh, uh the daily racing form mm-hmm. right and he knows everything there is to know about the ponies and he and dale de Groff just did a recent thing together where they talked about how the history of uh american whiskey and the history of horse racing intertwine a lot so they've got this little program going that they're gonna take around yeah show. i it want that really, it was I, really fucking cool uh, I went to it I would watch um, that pony show But while I was at that thing I went up to the both of them And I said You guys should come talk about this On our little radio show So they're going to be here the, the Wednesday that precedes the Derby Oh and by the way Dale's a massive race fan He goes to the mm-hmm. tracks all the time uh, and also, I told Dale, since he did it before when he was on the show, to bring his guitar. And I'm telling you to bring your guitar. Yeah, and I'm going to do it. Everybody listening <laughs> is going to get to hear you and Dale play some guitar together. And Hell then yeah. I'm going to ask you to bring your guitar the following week as well. we got Matt Friedlander from Sweetwater Social. He's a rock and roll nerd. And oh, then, yeah, man. And then the week after that, we got Austin Henley and Julia Nay Williams, who both currently live down in Costa Rica and run the Hotel Belmar in a lot of different capacities, both in and out of the bar and kitchen oh yeah man um, so we've got a lot of great shows coming up um i know i kind of gushed All those over vacations
3: for you have just really
4: <laughs> i know i know i kind of gushed over peter and dale but that's gonna be a great one not to be missed uh, prior to the um race you know you want to hear that one yeah, before sure. the race i know i know a lot of people save the shows and archive them and listen to them whenever they have time but you want to listen to that one live i think and hear some music and then finally i just have one little uh sweet thing to mention the week you were gone we got i came into here and there was a bottle sitting on the on the on the studio desk um from a uh, uh, copperworks distillery out in seattle from a guy named jeff kanoff he just wrote us a sweet little note that said i really enjoy your show guys thank you so much and i work at this distillery and here's a bottle of my juice single, ah. single malt american whiskey made in seattle i didn't crack it open yet we'll, we'll you and i will drink it all right soon sounds good man anyway that's, that's my kind of
5: all I... fan mail right there
4: yeah right yes <laughs> send more fan mail people um uh, yeah so there you go that's all i've got what do you got
3: I <laughs> think you covered it all, buddy. I'm just going to leave my guitar here. Yeah, for two weeks at <laughs> least. two weeks. Yeah, man. Maybe you should open every show with a little ditty. Uh, you kind of do. Kind of do. That is that is my band's song. It's called Whiskey. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but uh, the opening song for the show is called Whiskey and Loose Women by Brothers. Uh, that's my band. So that's the reason why it's the theme song
4: yeah
5: your band
3: your, your band brothers with your brother
5: yeah save some money on licensing right so i'm gonna exactly.
3: see next weekend out in san francisco i'm not gonna do any guest bartending but i'm gonna go pop around and see a bunch of my buddies you guys doing any gigs
4: playing anywhere
0: we're going to big sur yeah,
3: all right <laughs> sounds like <laughs> boring know <laughs> it sounds awesome all right but you'll be back for the show i'll be here before uh, I'm, I'm
4: leaving that night after the show okay cool All right. So again, next week, Heather Ash. Thanks so much for listening to Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. If you like this show, please join. uh, uh, Please, please tune in for thousands more just like it at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And if you've got the time and the inclination and the money, up in the right hand corner, there's a spot where you can press to donate some money to keep shows like this on the air. Uh, And we thank you for listening. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you.
1: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll. Lord knows that country music's gonna save your soul.